My guest today is Molly McLaughlin. Molly is the host of the Sleep is a Skill podcast and the creator of Sleep is a Skill, a company that optimizes people's sleep through a unique blend of technology, accountability, and behavioral change. After navigating insomnia while traveling internationally, Molly created what she couldn't find, a place to go to learn the skill set of sleep. Knowing the difference between a life with sleep and without, she's now dedicated her life to sharing the forgotten skill set of sleep. In this episode, we discuss why sleep in the first place is such an important skill for our modern society, practical tips and biohacks to understanding and optimizing how you sleep and how you feel when you wake up, some of the most helpful sleep gadgets on the market, how to follow your intuitive creative bouts without too much damage to your sleep cycles, understanding the circadian rhythm, the shocking truth about mealtime and sleep, I'm still digesting that one, sleep rituals, Molly also walks us through her own morning and nighttime routines, the practice of gratitude emails and how it became Molly's longest standing daily ritual, and on a personal side of things, I also asked Molly what it was like to get engaged at the gorgeous Amanjiri Resort in Utah. If you want to dive deeper into the topic of sleep, definitely check out Molly's podcast and subscribe to her newsletter, all of which you can find on sleepisaskill.com. Before we dive in, I gotta ask you, have you listened to episode 177 with Dajay James yet? Because if you haven't, I invite you to pause everything and go and listen to it. It truly changes everything. It's a conversation that has been rippling through my whole being, through my spirit for weeks. And every single time I tune into the energy of it, there's a new knowing, there's a new remembering, and just this beautiful sense of spaciousness and freedom in the way that I approach entrepreneurship, creativity, owning and sharing my story, showing up online. It's truly the epitome of all the different journeys that I have been going on both in my inner landscape and also with all of the shifts happening with a podcast and in my business. So go and check out episode 177. You can also watch it on my YouTube channel, Xenia Brief, if you want to look at us and into our eyes as you absorb all of the frequencies that we are sharing. All right, enjoy this conversation with Molly McLaughlin. Molly, welcome to my podcast. I am so excited to reconnect. We recorded an episode for your podcast, Sleep is a Skill, and it seems like it was so many lifetimes away. It was in the very beginning of your podcast. It was episode five where I shared all kinds of sleep rituals that I personally use, but now you are here and you are one of the world's leading sleep experts, may I say, someone who is just so committed to creating a new conversation in that realm that I don't know too much about. So I am so excited to catch up with you. Oh, well, me too. I'm so grateful that you came on the podcast in the early days of it. And it was, I believe, right around the beginning of the lockdown in 2020. And so, you know, it was just an interesting time that we were all kind of navigating and for you to take the time and 
bring some of your wisdom to the Sleep is a Skill podcast. Was you know, We're eternally grateful for that. And absolutely looking forward to diving more into all the things that have come out of just the whole world of diving into this conversation of sleep optimization, particularly in such an important time, I think, on the globe for so many people looking to up-level their health and well-being. So let's just start at the top. Why sleep? For me, my story, I think, is particularly relevant on that because essentially the creation of sleep as a skill came from my own relationship to my sleep. And what that looked like was for many, many years, just relating to myself as a lot of labels around my sleep. I'm a short sleeper. I'm a night owl. It's in my genes. It's essentially fixed in some way, shape, or form. Not much to look at there. And from that place, then not also connecting as the years went by, living as an entrepreneur in the middle of Manhattan, burning the candle at both ends, I found myself you know, having all kinds of symptoms that I think in retrospect, I didn't correlate as being a part of how I was relating and managing my sleep. And what that looked like was I was getting sick more and more often. As the years went on, I was becoming more and more of a kind of extreme night owl going to bed. Sometimes as the sun is rising, I'm pretty much going to sleep and then being justified and righteous about, well, I can wake up the next day. I'll wake up later. Who cares? And have that keep going. And what ended up happening was periods of an amp up in anxiety, getting sick more and more often, had shingles in my 20s, you know, a lot of signs that something was off. Now, it wasn't until I went through my own period of insomnia while traveling internationally that really everything sort of shifted. And it was kind of this rock bottom in my life as I look back on it. And yet I'm also eternally grateful for it because it shifted everything for me. And essentially, it began this kind of quest to not only restore my sleep, but also to see what life was like without sleep and how there was no possibility of showing up in a state of health and wellness or well-being or any of those things without that core foundation. And I got to log the understanding that sleep really gets to serve as this nice barometer of the workability of our life. And often if there's trouble with our sleep barring, you know, clear sleep disorders or something of that nature, but often there can be other things that are not working in our life. So it's served as a really important lens for really personal development in our life and to check in on are things working or are things not working. And on the other side of it, now we've created a whole community around sleep optimization. We have our weekly newsletter, weekly podcasts, kind of a community that I was really looking for when I felt uh, that I was struggling and alone and embarrassed and, and shameful about all these things that I felt like I just couldn't do something so basic and seemingly you know, innate to all of us. And yet I was struggling. So I'm grateful to be able to be in this conversation with others that are also struggling. There's so much I'm excited to dive into with you. The first idea that comes to mind is when I start feeling sick or in some way off. I know that sleep is one of those tools that always helps me refine my balance and boost my immunity system, feel more energized, and really is this cure-all. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and it, the funny thing is that it's free. You know, there's all kinds of gadgets and tools we can add to biohack and optimize, but originally the main thing, sleep, is free. 
And what I'm curious to explore with you is once you get past this idea of taking a nap when you need to, getting you know more suited sleep schedule to your lifestyle and really understanding your own biorhythms, what else is there and what happens to your life once you optimize your sleep? And great insight, of course, to be so connected to the fact that when things are not going quite as well as you'd like them to, as it relates to your health or certain things that you're looking to uplevel to know intrinsically to look at that sleep quality and how to bring that to a new level can be really, really important. So on this topic, I think there are so many things that get unleashed when we do begin to optimize our sleep. But I think we can also look at what we see. We really struggle to find a single area of life that is not impacted when our sleep is not working, when we're dealing with sleep deprivation on a chronic level or even an acute level, just even in a short period of time. So on the flip side of that, we get to see the happy benefits of once we log uh, not only consistent kind of homeostasis with our sleep, but then for many of us, what it looks like is experiencing sleep that it's not actually too, too common right now, particularly in the West. And so when we think about optimizing that sleep, what we can see is a few things. So often we might see a lowering of our heart rate throughout the course of our night and then ripple effect into the rest of our days. We're likely to see improvements in our heart rate variability, uh, HRV, which is a fantastic metric for understanding if we really receive that kind of recovery throughout the course of the night or not a lowering of body temperature throughout the course of the night, which can then be a nice sign of a regulation of our circadian rhythm, lowering of our respiratory rate throughout the course of the night, which can also signal that we're able to tap more into that parasympathetic response, getting into those deeper levels of sleep and presumably improved uh, sleep quality throughout the course of that night. And then what that sets us up for the following day is a number of shifts. So because our circadian rhythm, if we're strengthening and improving the workability of that rhythm, since it, it does ebb and flow on a spectrum of either a weak side or a strong side, if we move ourselves over to that strong side of the circadian rhythm spectrum, then what we can often find is a improvement in the consistency of our hormonal shifts basically throughout the day. So starting with a nice healthy cortisol pulse in the morning that we actually do want to have a Goldilocks effect of that cortisol in the morning, not too high, not too low. And just even with that pure element of consistency from sleep, we often can find workability to get that more regulated, of course, with some other interventions. And then you'll see an improvement in the regulation in the evening of melatonin production Again, finding that sweet spot so that there's a sufficient quantity of that so that it's lasting you throughout the course of the night, so not dealing with too many wake-ups later thereafter. And then it also affects many other hormones throughout the rest of the day, including you know our sex hormones, so testosterone. And for women, and certainly women of menstruating age, this can be incredibly important too from the different phases of our cycle that we might be going through to have 
uh, balancing effect of that biorhythm. Beyond that, even things like glucose regulation can begin to be more normalized so that you're not dealing with. So an example is if you were to wake up with sleep deprivation and you didn't get much sleep the night before, even one night of acute sleep deprivation, uh, you can often find an uptick in the resting glucose levels that you might find yourself in. And so then you're kind of just fighting this uphill battle because then you're craving things that you might not normally be craving. It might have fallouts in the timing of your meals. And that can shift what we think of as metabolic jet lag, essentially creating metabolic jet lag. Then you might be eating at odd times and then throwing off your potential for improved sleep that following night, because now you might be finding yourself a bit more ravenous even into the later hours of the night. So this is just a little tiny list of some of the things that can shift when you do get that sleep element under control. But it also depends on the goals that people are looking for, because you know, if you're an athlete and you're looking to optimize your performance, recovery time, you know, that is absolutely a place to begin is that sleep foundation. If you're looking for mental health kind of regulation, certainly I mentioned I was dealing with anxiety and a number of other things for my mental health and the dialing in of this area has made a tremendous difference for myself and other clients. So there's a lot that we can discuss, but that's just a little bit. So you are someone who spends so much time researching the science behind everything you're talking about and your newsletters for anyone interested in diving deeply into what we're discussing is so incredible and well-researched. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Yes, I see you. <laughs> and where I would love to go from here is what are some anecdotal differences? You know, I'm not a biohacker. I'm someone who is wellness aware, well-being aware human who would like to think I live somewhat in harmony with nature in some small ways. Yes. And I'm curious, what are some actual differences you've seen people experience once they optimize your sleep, maybe even with your own story? And what are some, you know, very accessible, simple tools or rituals or invitations that people can consider to start diving into this world. Because when you're newer to this topic, my head is kind of like, oh my gosh, where do I even begin? There's so many things. Yes. Oh, so true. And I think it's an exciting time for sleep because in this health and wellness conversation, it has been a bit of a almost something that's been stepped over for a long period of time. It's been a, well, yeah, of course, sleep's important. And let's look at our nutrition and our activity. And of course, those things are incredibly important and they actually are, have a bi-directional relationship with our sleep results. But too often, we might have for many years then thought that in order to fulfill on those other realms of health and wellness, then what might get cut is sleep. And I think it's an exciting time for or kind of the sleep almost renaissance where more and more research is coming out on the importance of sleep, particularly a, a one that has made the rounds is with some large scale studies looking at what seems to be a correlation between sleep deprivation and things like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia. So these neurological disorders and being able to now get ourselves back in the driver's seat to help prevent some of those things in the long term, but then even in the short term, presumably improve cognitive function day to day by just optimizing for that one area. You know, I work with a lot of poker players and their 
particularly interested in how improving their sleep can perform their cognitive performance at the table, the poker table, and over the long term throughout the course of their day that, you know, can often go for hours and hours and hours as they're playing tournaments or online poker or what have you. So just even from the cognitive level, if you're looking for productivity performance, then this is an important area to begin. And to your question of where do we begin? So one of the frameworks that we often come from is this conversation of chronobiology, which is really the science of time and how time can affect our rhythms and our health and our bodies. So from that place, then within that study, then there's this conversation of circadian rhythm entrainment. So I mentioned circadian rhythm, how it can be on the spectrum of weak or strong and slide around on that spectrum, depending on uh, a number of things. And so the entrainment portion of it is looking to improve some of these cues that and behaviors that then can strengthen that rhythm. So essentially what our goal is, is you might have been with friends over the years where maybe you all go out and everyone's out till much later than normal. And yet there's that one friend that tends to wake up still regardless at their same wake up time that they always do. We're trying to essentially create our lives to be a bit like that friend and, or maybe you are that friend, which is fantastic. And so continuing on with those practices, because what that's all looking like is this uh, strong circadian rhythm, this automaticity, where we have these ingrained structures that we operate within, and we largely tend to maintain those even if things get in our way. So couple things that we can think of. Top down, most important influencer of our circadian rhythm of it's kind of staying on time, essentially, is light. So light is something that we want to begin to become a connoisseur of. And we purposely named this company Sleep is a Skill from this idea that this is a skill set for us all to learn. So we want to really come at this with a beginner's mind of what are the things that influence my results with my sleep. And if we come at that from a blank slate, then beginning to really look newly at these rhythms of sunrise to sunset and the periods of darkness throughout the evening and how those we can really have those be a tremendous biohack, if you will. So what this would look like is if you get nothing else out of what I'm saying, then starting your day with that exposure of light into your eyes, not from behind a window. There's studies that report that it seems to take anywhere from 50 to 100 times longer to reset your master clock in your brain, that suprachiasmatic nucleus, if you are getting that, that sun from behind a window. So just get yourself outside, whatever that looks like, even if, you know, I've done some crazy looking things uh, in being in New York City at one period when I would basically open up the windows and like be hanging my head out and, and it's freezing outside. I'm like wrapped up like a burrito. So, you know, it might look a little weird, but do what you got to do to get that sunlight consistently. And so you want that in your eyes. You want to do as much as you can to pretty much throw away your sunglasses for the most part or Granted, I'm actually speaking to you all from Vegas right now, so I do know the sun can be particularly blinding at certain periods of the day, but as much as you can, train yourself to really be okay without those sunglasses because particularly in the morning hours when the sun is coming in a little bit differently, 
more rich in infrared light that's going to help with that resetting process. And the from the time that you get that brightest light exposure, that really sets in kind of a countdown clock in your body that then will tell the body what time it should be getting sleepy later on in the day. And you can also use this strategically to your advantage if you need to stay up later on a particular day. Like those poker players I mentioned, sometimes they need to be prepared to stay up late into the night. And so if they're doing that, we might strategically have them not get bright light until later on in the day. This is how much this can really be sort of manipulated. And for the most part, barring something hopefully out of the norm like that, you want to have that level of consistency each morning. And you're looking to have a high amplitude of light exposure throughout the entire course of the day, particularly anchored in that first half. And then moving into when the sun is setting, ideally you're present for sunset because that presence of infrared light that's there during the sunset is another cueing mechanism that, okay, we're starting to switch over to what we call night mode. So for night mode, we want a whole other set of rhythms and processes happening. So from that place in the inside in our home environment, then we're looking to mimic those rhythms as much as possible. Ideally, you're just switching over to candles, but I know that can be not so practical for some people. So if that's the case, then hopefully we can settle on some red lights or very, very warm hued like Himalayan salt lamps or things that are just really on that warm side of the spectrum. You might think that this is like a small thing, not a big deal, but there's really cool studies actually out of NASA looking at the tremendous difference that this can make for your melatonin production by having what they call dynamic lighting like this, you know, really bright throughout the course of the day and then very, very dim in the evening. And you could see a measurable uptick in melatonin versus if it's static, pretty much the same throughout the static lighting throughout the same throughout the whole course of the day, it being really pretty flatlined. So that can be one element that you can lean into to begin is the light versus dark spectrum and how that's going to affect your sleep-wake cycle. I love hearing this personally because I do love getting outside the house and putting my feet on bare earth as soon as I wake up. And I wasn't exactly sure what the benefit there is, but it's awesome to know that there's science that actually proves that it's something that's beneficial. And I'm very sensitive to light. And in the evenings, I only do red colored hue lights, those strip lights, Himalayan salt lamps and beeswax candles, because I've learned that beeswax apparently also helps you get sleepy. Yes, great. That's amazing. I love that. (laughs) You've got very in tune on all of these topics. But what I do, you know, want to be real about is that I understand what you're saying about having somewhat a consistent rhythm of sleeping and waking up. But what about all of us creative people who have these waves where sometimes I just have something come through me and I feel like I must stay up as long as it takes and I'm not stopping anything until it's done because there's this creative high that I am to follow. And if I don't, I might wake up and not remember what it was. Yes, very good point. And actually, prior to the period when I had my whole bout of insomnia, I was someone that pretty much was exclusively working in the early morning hours and was very justified and righteous about it because I would say, listen, like I am the most creative here. This is absolutely for me. And I do think to your point, there's absolutely can be those periods in time when we want to lean into spontaneity, lean into kind of massive insights. And there are certain practices that we can bring in if that is the case. So one, we're aiming 
aiming so that the majority of the time we're having that consistent, particularly wake up time. So if, if you're kind of thinking, well, where do I begin? There's so many things. If you just pick that consistent wake up time that you're aiming to create for seven days a week, fitting that into your schedule. So picking that time. So then even if there are some of those times, hopefully it's not too, too regular. But if there are some of those times where, listen, I have a spark of genius, I need to lean into this. We do that. And then what could seem actually as something that is counterintuitive where we're actually waking up at that same wake up time, plus or minus, you know, 30 minutes or so. Sometimes you might have it be a little bit later if it was quite late the night before. And the same thing applies if you have something that you're going out for or social events or whatever, then you're still trying to maintain that consistent wake up time. What can happen there is that that will with more velocity, get you back onto that consistent rhythm without having hopefully too many hiccups. You could supplement with a little bit of a power nap, which can be helpful for a number of people, unless you are someone that's been dealing with insomnia, that can be something that you might want to you know, work with someone on to ensure that that's not further disrupting your sleep-wake cycle, uh, that sleep pressure element of things. But that can be some of the ways that you can hopefully have it all. And that on those times where you want to have that spark of creativity and, and answer that calling, then you're still not kind of experiencing the hormonal fallouts, the glucose fallouts, the cardiovascular fallouts that basically all symptoms of jet lag, even though we haven't gone anywhere, it's called social jet lag, even though it should, I think, be renamed almost just like self-created jet lag, which many of us are experiencing. So I think that that can be a way for us to think about because we probably, many of us have experienced some form of jet lag, are aware that that can be disruptive and even just on the basis of immunity can be something to be mindful of. So because of those really very real risks, we want to minimize those as much as possible when we're talking about our self-created jet lag. What about those evenings where it's time to go to bed and there's a wake up that's coming up tomorrow? And in Russian, there's actually an expression you're going to appreciate that Eric always laughs when I say. He starts <laughs> saying it himself. It sounds like if you translate it literally, it is, I have no sleep in either eye. So what do you do oh. if it's time to go to bed, but you have no sleep in either eye? <laughs> I like that a lot. Interesting. Well, thank you for that. I have learned something new. That's very cool. So... Yes. If you have something coming up, another way that we might think about it is that anticipatory anxiety and a sense that, you know, I got a flight to catch. I got a big presentation to yes. make. I, you know, when so I have a flight, good <sighs> luck. I have yes. all of these dreams of missing my flight, being late <laughs> that keep me up all night. I know. I know. Totally get that. I actually had something similar just a little bit ago when I was headed to Miami and the flight was pretty early. And even though I know all these things, I still had that experience of why am I having a an extra wake up when I normally don't have an extra wake up in there. And, you know, just this sense that the body and mind are a bit more on high alert. So very, very common. 
Another, I think that can also go in a similar category as something called the first night effect. So if you find yourself in a new environment, so you you catch that plane, hopefully, and now you're in a new space, and then you might experience also disrupted sleep or difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep during your time in a new location. So all of those can often go under that category of how to tap into that parasympathetic response. So one of the things that we aim to help cultivate a bit more is one, uh, a bit of grace of knowing that that is quite common and was wired into our biology for many, many years, particularly with the first night effect, because presumably the thinking is that I say in like hunter-gatherer days or what have you, we go to a new environment, it might be important for us to be a bit more on high alert because there could be kind of something lurking that could be uh, harming our safety. So there's some of that hardwiring on that topic. But even with anticipatory anxiety, the sense that if we kind of play through this or we think through it enough, then maybe that will have uh, impact on our results in the morning. Or we start freaking out about the fact that we've been thinking about this thing and now less and less time is available for us to actually sleep. So what we aim to do is preconditioning throughout the course of the day a bit more. So we're preconditioning by bringing in various, actually really like how some people might be familiar with Professor Andrew Huberman, who's made it quite the big splash in you know sharing his wisdom from neurobiology out of Stanford and bringing a lot of that information to the masses. I really like how he's coined this term, non-sleep deep rest protocols. And it's kind of a, just a fancier, more science sounding term to put things that we've known for many years could be helpful. Like hypnosis actually has some really powerful studies behind it and its um, ability for us to kind of get targeted on some of those things that might be at play for that stress response. Yoga Nidra, meditation, deep breath or deep breathing through various types of breath work. So having that consistent process or practice throughout the course of our day is our goal to then train ourselves to be able to modulate our response to stress. Now, I have a lot of clients wearing the LEAF, spelled L-I-E-F, which is a daytime HRV tracker, essentially, and it will literally buzz you when you are going into a stress state to prompt you to shift your breathing on the spot and help you be able to understand and know yourself as someone that, okay, even if you do have some of those periods of stress, that then you can shift that breathing and actually very measurably modulate even your experience of your heart rate and your HRV and kind of bring you from the red zone of sympathetic to the blue zone of more of a parasympathetic and train the speed by which you do that. So you might begin and might take you quite some time to finally remind the nervous system that things are okay. And then over time, you can actually speed all of that up. So basically, the meditation is the answer to everything. Isn't it always the answer? But <laughs> I know, right? Don't we often come back to that? Now, I will say that one of the benefits, though, to bringing about more of that consistency from bedtime, wake time is that often, even when we do have some of those big things the following morning, then once the stronger and more sound that circadian rhythm is, then that can often help do some of the heavy lifting for us so that that pressure becomes so clear. It's like a wave that can come over you so that you're still able to get to sleep and hopefully stay asleep throughout the course of the night, even if there is something sort of bigger in the morning. And I can share too that 
you know, I mentioned that from circadian rhythm entrainment, all of these things are known as zeitgeibers. And essentially, that's another word for time givers, things to strengthen that rhythm that we're trying to trying to help hone in. And the second most important thing under that light and darkness is temperature. So, and temperature can be influenced by a number of things, including some of our behaviors. So first, of course, there's the ambient temperature. So even bringing in some of that cooler temperature into your environment in the evening can be another cue. So even if you are stressing about some of these things, then hopefully if we have all of these cues in alignment, then we can further help bring about sleep even in the face of what we might be stressing about. So shifting that temperature. And I think we've discussed too, even things like from the tech side of things, the, you know, chili pad or eight mattress or sleep number, some of those things that then can further uptick that experience of cooling down in the evening. But there's Nestled underneath temperature are a bunch of things that we might be doing that I think we might not be aware of that can further bring about that wake state when we might not want them that to be present. So a couple of quick things are your meal timing. So if you're eating a bit later on into the evening, and I think the surprise for some people might be that we found some really strong results for a number of people of experimenting with even four to five hours before sleep of having their last bite of food. And of course, this bio-individuality and finding what works for you and mindful of your own health. But it is really interesting thing when we start to examine that it might even be more of a time that the body can really benefit from having that time of basically a small amount of a fast before going into sleep so that your body's not digesting while you're sleeping. But even before sleep, if it is having that element of digesting, then that can uptick your body temperature and make it more difficult to fall asleep. So if you layer that on with that anticipatory anxiety, we might confuse that with just all of a mental game and there might be some physiological things at play. Also the types of food. So we're looking to have balanced kind of glucose throughout the course of the night because if you're experiencing a big spike and then a crash, then that's likely to throw things off a bit and impact your ability to not only fall asleep, but stay asleep. So if you're someone with wake-ups, that's something to definitely explore the glucose stability throughout your days and nights. And of course, exercise timing and type can make a difference if you're finding yourself exercising more in the evening. Obviously, we're looking to bring about a lowering of the heart rate and body temperature in the evening. So ideally, if you can kind of shift that earlier on into your day, during daylight hours anyway, that can be beneficial. And then finding that Goldilocks so that you're not overtraining and stressing out the body or undertraining and then, you know, not experiencing sleep pressure from sufficient movement throughout the course of the day. So finding that kind of sweet spot with sufficient recovery. And then the other one goes into this thing called thought timing. And thought timing is really interesting because there's even studies uh, looking at this idea that the types of thoughts that we're engaging in throughout the course of the day can actually affect our body temperature, which is sort of fascinating. So there's even a gadget on the market that can cool your prefrontal cortex because they find that when we're in a hyperactive brain state before bed, so for people that are chronic insomniacs, they seem to have a 
basically a, a hotter head, if you will. Like the, the brain state is actually warmer in that prefrontal cortex than those who are not dealing with some of that hyper um, aroused state. So it helps, you know, one of the things I think is interesting about that is just brings reverence to the fact that our thoughts can then further create this physiological response. So if we can train ourselves to start noticing, are we engaging in some charged thinking or conversations or content in the evenings? How can we reallocate that earlier on to the day or some other part of our schedule, essentially? That's why they say never go to bed angry at your partner. Because you're bringing that into your sleep. That's so interesting. I was going to bring up thoughts as part of my question about emotional and spiritual aspect of optimizing our sleep. But it's even covered by biology, which is so fascinating. Because, you know, one of the things I notice is that when I do some simple practices, even thinking about a few things that I'm grateful for today, or thinking about a moment in my day where I felt loved by my husband, or you know, just pointing out something beautiful that I noticed on the property in the day and writing it down in my journal, all of these little things, they make such a big difference to the state in which I both fall asleep, the dreams that I have, and the mood in which I wake up. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts and maybe some rituals that you know that perhaps are more mystical that have to do with sleep. Yeah, really good point. And it's exciting that we do have some more studies coming out in the positive psychology realm looking at some of the benefits of things like gratitude journaling, to your point, seeming to help with people's ability to both fall asleep and then improving the speed by which they can then fall asleep after wake-ups throughout the course of the night. So it does begin to provide some you know, kind of science behind this practice that could land into like this, you know, kind of soft skills arena or what have you. Instead, it's moving it more into the fourth one of a real strategy. So I think that's fantastic. That's actually probably one of the most consistent things I've done in my entire life is I'm on day 2000, I think 400 and something like 26 or something of daily gratitude emails to friends and family. It's been crazy. Can you talk more about that? What exactly? exactly is that and how do you do it and why? Yes. So I began this a long, long time ago, years back. And it really just started with a couple, you know, kind of friend and family members on just an email. And I was just sending, you know, just as a way to kind of get this going. And there were some things, you know, definitely it was in a time in my life where there was a number of things that just still were not working as well as I'd like them to. So it was like, okay, let's just begin this gratitude practice. And just a couple people on there and and that's that was it. And just a couple things, that's a win at the end of our day. And then since then, it's been really cool because it's grown to I've most of my family and some close friends on there. And actually, after I was able to get up under my sleep <laughs> issues that I was having when we first started traveling, I, we did then travel for another three years. And so then all throughout that had that gratitude practice going. So it was a cool way to stay in touch with people, but from a lens of gratitude versus many things that we could stay in touch with people around and things that are not working can sometimes be those things. And instead... Can you give me an example? Yeah, sure. So each day what or each night, what it looks like is I, in the subject line, will say gratefuls number like 2,400 and whatever. 
And then I'll say, just literally get right into it. Grateful for, you know, the podcast with Ksenia today. Grateful for, you know, just keep going through all the things. Sometimes it might be really so small and seemingly silly, you know, grateful that they had almonds at the airport or whatever. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, and sometimes, you know, you can really certainly, or at least my experience has been that there might be stretches of my life where I'm saying, oh, what is there to be grateful for? Come on. And just, you know, really starting in that state. And then by the end of the email, you say, oh my goodness, actually, I could keep going. Like there's a number of things if I really, really look. So it becomes like this very nice sort of end of day primer to set things up for the rest of your evening. And that's really what we're trying to do is kind of prime our mind into a state of all is well. There's things for us to be grateful for. We are safe. We are secure and to find the good. So that practice begins in the evening. And then the other thing that I've done for quite some time is with my fiance, Blake, we have done our just verbally talk about our nightly grateful. So he'll say three things. I'll say three things. And often it brings about some laughs and just, you know, surprised things like, oh, what? You're grateful for whatever, the office or some show or something, and brings about some lightheartedness to kind of send us off to sleep, which is, I think, a really nice practice to bring in, especially for bonding, you know, with our partners. If you if you have a partner there, or if, if it's by yourself, then even doing that yourself, whether it's a journaling practice or maybe creating a bit of a buddy system can be cool because the other thing I've found as a benefit is that then people will respond to this email and they'll say, oh, yay, grateful for whatever. And they might bring in their own gratitude things or will connect under this kind of umbrella of gratitude. Yes. And by the way, almonds, we both laughed at that comment. <laughs> But finding good food at the, airport at the airport is near impossible. Recently, we were actually flying out to Austin from JFK. And I was really hungry because it takes us many, many hours to drive from the cabin to the airport. And we didn't have time to stop by Sweetgreen in the city. And so all I wanted is a salad. Just give yes. me a salad. And there was nothing like that. Everything was fast food and highly yes. processed. And then a miracle happened. I saw one of those vending machines while I was waiting for Eric to come out of the bathroom. And I look more closely and I realized that it has all of these different jars of salads and Thai noodles. I've seen that. Yes. It's like farmer's something. Yes. Farmer's something. And actually it was quite good. I was really surprised. Mm. That's awesome. Because actually I saw that on the run. I hadn't gotten a chance to try that out. So that is very good feedback. I appreciate this. That would definitely go in the gratitude list for sure. Because those things can be a bit of a rarity to have that experience and, and then to remember and log it into our psyche of like, oh, that was a win. That was something very cool that happened today. I think is powerful. So I would love to hear about your rituals, Molly. What are some of the things that you do in the morning when you wake up besides sticking your head out through the window when you are living <laughs> in New York City? Yes. And besides the ritual that you just shared that you do with Blake, your fiance, what are some evening rituals? You know, what's the real life application of all the things that we're talking about? has continued to evolve over the years. And uh, so right now, what it's looking like is, as I'm speaking to you now, we're in Vegas. We're actually moving to Austin. So funny that you just mentioned Austin. So we're very excited about that. 
But while we're in Vegas, what it's looking like is we wake up in the morning and the first thing we do is go outside onto the terrace. And uh, one thing I really do like about the desert is that it's such consistent, almost always blue skies. And then so you get to see that nice sunrise. So often then we're sitting outside and depending on the weather, it's actually starting to get a little chilly. So we might bring a little, we have an outdoor blanket out there. So we try to make the outdoor space something where we can really make it workable no matter the weather and try to work from there quite a bit too throughout the course of the day. But so the morning, getting that sunlight, stay out there for a little bit, have morning water. We put in a little bit of the kind of sea salt. So sea water type element in there in the morning because you're quite dehydrated when you first wake up. So getting that hydration, getting that sunlight in your eyes. A new thing, this might sound a little biohackery, but new thing I've been adding in recently has been uh, brain tap. If you're familiar with the headset, so it has a bit of a kind of light feature in the front and into the ears and kind of a, it's a whole, I've been calling it like the Disney of meditation because it has uh, sometimes dual voices on either side of, on either side of you, then music and lights all around. It's, it's a whole thing. But if you're not into that, then even just some basic sort of meditation. Also been into journaling in the mornings, kind of setting some intentions and, you know, how I want to show up throughout the course of the day. So doing that in the mornings, and then we tend to actually, for our meal timing structure, we work with people to create their circadian rhythm intermittent fasting as much as possible. So what that looks like is you're eating throughout sunrise and sunset. So we tend to have our meals on the earlier side and then end on the earlier side. Ours is actually a bit more in the realm of early time restricted feeding so that our last meal tends to be more around like 3 p.m., 4 p.m., that sort of thing. And I'm not saying everyone needs to do that, but I'm just saying that you find that window that's working for you. So we'll have breakfast in the morning, a little bit. We're into coffee again. We've oscillated between matcha, coffee, and I feel like you can definitely relate to this. Uh, so, So we're back on the coffee conversation in the morning and then aim to usually work out. We, we play with sometimes fasted workouts or fed workouts. So depends on what goals we're having or where I'm at in my rhythm for my cycle. So then throughout the rest of the day, you know, basically what we've done when we first wake up is turn up the temperature in the space too. So we aim to have that be enough of a shift. So we move that in up quite a few degrees from where it was when we were sleeping. And by the way, also I love, I use the Uller chili pad in the very beginning of this day. It wakes me up with the warm awake setting too, which I love. And so that kind of looks like some of our morning routine and then moving into more focused work throughout the course of the day, getting as much sunlight as possible. So I try to bring out my laptop outside as much as I can. And then if I am inside, I'm behind a big window. And I mentioned that uh, the window does impact some of this setting, but as our aim is to be able to first get that sunlight anchoring, secondly, getting ourselves outside even on kind of breaks. So in between like Zoom calls or what have you, then I'll go outside for even just little snippets to maintain some of that kind of uh, entrainment. And then working throughout the course of the day, then when we get into sunset, 
I'm shifting more to that winding down element of things. And I've done some of that, you know, non-sleep deep rest protocols throughout the day, particularly for that second wind, you know, in the in the afternoon, I might do another sort of meditation. New calm is another one that I will play with at different points. And so bring that into kind of reset for the rest of the afternoon. And when we're in that sunset phase, then getting that exposure to light. And then after the sun sets, then our space looks real dark. So we have just largely pretty much candles, to your point, a little bit of those Himalayan salt lamps. We also have these motion red lights that, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom or some other little part of the space, then we might, then you go by those and the red lights turn on and then they turn off when you don't need them. So we do a lot of those and also travel with those quite a bit. And then since we've stopped eating during that point, we used to spend a lot of our evenings just like eating and snacking and all these sort of things. So we're more instead shifting over to tea. The most fun things in life. <laughs> I know. There was a period when, oh my goodness, we would be, most of our food was stacked into the wee hours of the morning. Uh, especially when we're in Manhattan, we would say, it'd be like one in the morning and two in the morning and, oh, let's go to the deli. Let's go to this. Let's go get yes. nachos, whatever, right? <laughs> adventures. Totally. So the fact, so totally shifting our whole schedule is, has been quite an identity shift because this has been a whole evolution for sure. So now we do more, uh, lots of different types of herbal teas, maybe a little honey or something to that effect, but largely just in that fasted state in the evenings, turning down the temperature. Now I do quite an ongoing audit of the types of things that I'm doing in the evenings, So that leaf will let me know if, if I'm in a stress state, and even if it's watching some Netflix or something, there might be certain shows that I think, oh, this is fine, not a big deal. And yet I'm getting buzzed because I'm just so stressed for whatever, the main character in Dr. Foster I was watching and I was getting stressed <laughs> or, you know, it's something that you might not think would be too much of a thing, but for whatever reason, it's charged and activating for me at that time. So might want to look at some other alternatives. So just taking note of how you're responding to the things that you're bringing into your environment in the evenings. And so then looking to have them be more on the fun, joyous, a lot of comedy, that sort of thing in the evenings. And then shifting over, if I am stressed about something, like we we're talking about that anticipatory anxiety, that could be a time to bring in some journaling and even just like a brain dump of all the things I have to do. And then I'm often putting them even into like my calendar on my phone if I'm really stressed about feeling like a sense of overwhelm so that the brain can kind of have a settling of closing those loops of all what feels like open loops of, oh, shoot, I got to do that. I got to do this. So just putting those into the calendar can also feel like, okay, ah, like I'll handle that at that time. And then of course, training ourselves to trust our word around that, that we actually will handle it. And then, so doing that journaling process, doing that gratitude that we spoke to, and then making it as cool and dark as possible and, you know, eye masks and having the sound kind of be workable. And then just that prioritization of sleep, because there can be many times where, oh, just want to watch one more episode of whatever, or, you know, just have a sense that we want to do something else besides going to bed and having that commitment, I think, and also making it kind of a partnership. If you do, if you are in a relationship or have someone else there 
that can be really beneficial too, or kind of creating your own sleep accountability buddies if you're by yourself that can, you know, keep this conversation alive. And finally, I would say tracking really can be a game changer for a number of people. Even if you're not a big tech person, bringing in some of this even basic sleep tracking, or if you're really anti-tech, even a sleep diary, so that you're kind of attuned to what are your numbers around your sleep? How are things looking so that we can kind of gamify and bring a bit of awareness into this area that might be kind of a gray area for many of us? Yeah, the way that you put into words, it's changing your sleep schedule has been an identity shift. And yes, it definitely it feels like a huge life change. You know, some of the things that, for example, I know I rely on for comfort in the evenings. You know, right now we're watching Game of Thrones. I grew up never being into fantasy or anything like that. And the more I step into my humanity, the more I actually am open to these made up worlds and more out there things. And Game of Thrones is hitting every spot right now in all of my interests and feeling alive in different dimensions. And that's what we watch. And oftentimes, you know, it will be a few episodes in one evening. And then I'm feeling so awake, I don't want to go to sleep. And then I'll have a couple of melatonin gummies, which I recently learned is not such a good thing to train your body to rely on melatonin to go to sleep. So what would you say about that? The melatonin gummies, they taste so good. And also, (laughs) what can you say about letting go of that identity that really feels alive and enjoys staying awake at night and writing down different creative thoughts and watching shows and making snacks and making ice cream? You know, I got Eric an ice cream machine for his birthday and we make this amazing ice cream and try all these different flavors and it's like our bonding time. So how do you make just drinking tea in the evening and fasting fun and interesting? So true. Oh my goodness. I resonate with so many of those things. And also hat tip to you with the Game of Thrones. I'm similar in that a lot of my life then I didn't gravitate towards many of the kind of fantasy, science fiction, any of that sort of world. And now I'm certainly in the space of exploring a lot of that. So I really get that. And Can't wait to hear your experience as you move through all those seasons of Game of Thrones. Very, very cool. And so one of the things is that we're aiming to make this really a lifestyle. So often we'll have clients come through and they'll say they're expecting that they need to do you know, light yoga and stretching in the evening and all of these things that might sound so lofty. And of course, there are some people that really do that and that really enjoy that. But it might look more kind of quote unquote normal of just watching certain shows like that in the evening. And yet we're also looking to see, can we provide a bit of a buffer between, especially when some of these shows might get us a little worked up or riled up, can we just have a little bit of time to kind of downshift essentially? Because these brain states that we might be in at these different points might be counterproductive to our goals of just helping our body kind of relax and then move into this whole other state of sleep versus wake. So one, just providing a little bit more of that time after and end. If you are dealing with a lot of stress at the time, you might want a little bit more time to bring your nervous system kind of back to an equilibrium. After My only getting- stress is Game of Thrones characters. 
bet. <laughs> oh yeah, that is that is a show. That is really <laughs> an experience. So I totally get that. <laughs> One thing that we'll often do if it's helpful for some people is we call it like washing off some of the intense shows. So we might put on like something very almost familiar. You're looking for a lack of novelty in the, especially the hour or so leading up to sleep. So you want it to be something very familiar and routine and almost like you're sleep training a baby, you know, there's just, oh, now we do our nighttime routine and we turn off the lights and we wash our teeth or wash our teeth. You know what I'm saying? The routines. So (laughs) yeah, exactly. So one of the things that we might bring in is even just some light comedy. So for us, we watch The Office or something that we've seen a million times, putting it on the background just to kind of rinse off, if you will, that experience of intensity from whatever intense show we might've been watching. And, and really it's all just different strategies to be mindful of what state is our body in and how much of a say we have in those results essentially. So you can experiment with different things for yourself in the evening. Some clients I have will do some nice evening walks throughout the course of the night. They'll do some even more kind of creative things like drawing and music on. And, you know, so you might find your own flow and workability, but it's a fun way to experiment with what else could your evenings look like versus just sort of being at the effect of whatever ends up showing up in your environment that you can actually create it and have a bit more of a clear result that's in alignment with your goals. And then I think as far as the fasting versus the fun and bonding of the nighttime snacks and what have you, I do think that one of the things that makes a big difference is particularly if you if people are opening to that tracking component, once you begin to see the measurable difference that this can make, I'm talking often with clients, I can see it's not uncommon for me to see a full 10 beats per minute or more of a lowering of their heart rate throughout the course of their night just by shifting this thing of their timing of their food. And so once you see that over and over again, so not only just the visuals of seeing that, but if you stack that night after night, you begin to just feel so much better when you wake up the next morning for many people that then you crave to sort of have that rhythm. So now I actually, you know, I've been traveling a lot more recently the past few weeks and been kind of eating on other people's schedules, like for conferences and that sort of thing. And the difference that I feel when I wake up the next day is just often night and day if I'm having kind of a late dinner or what have you. So finding that workability. Now, if you are, you know, experiencing in the late evenings, a bit of hunger, we're looking to have things that can be fairly easily digestible. So some people might then have some collagen protein or maybe bone broth or, you know, depending on your food ethos, even some people will do like sweet potatoes or that raw honey or various things to help stabilize their glucose throughout the rest of the night to bring about less of that rise and fall that might kind of have you feeling more ravenous, if you will. And then the other really cool thing that happens is when you do start changing your meal timing over time, this does take a little bit of time, but then the body does begin to have this clock that now it functions on and that becomes the new norm. So you actually aren't experiencing too much of that hunger pangs and our glucose. So our leptin and ghrelin rhythms are actually meant to be designed from as we're diurnal creatures being meant to be active during the day and at rest at night. The 
design is if our circadian rhythm is strong and kind of intact, then in the evenings, those signals are meant to help normalize so that we're not having those hunger pangs. Because if we think of evolutionary history, once the sun would set, there's no refrigerators, no pantry. It's you know, pretty challenging to go hunting in the dark. So that would be a time when you would just by virtue of the environment be fasting. So it makes sense that our kind of biological wiring is one to help make that an easy thing so that we're or an easier thing so that we're not um, kind of ravenous in the wee hours of the morning. And if you are experiencing a lot of those hunger pangs, that can be a sign that that rhythm might be out of alignment and there's some work to do. Wow. Yes. So many things I'm excited to try. And I actually would also love to know what's the brand you use for those portable red lights, the light, did you say movement activator ones? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, actually, they are on Amazon, the ones that I have a lot of people getting and quite affordable. So let me actually just pull it up. I should know that. But let's see red motion lights. They're very travel friendly. Every single trip I've been I've been traveling like every weekend and packing those in. It's kind of like my kit that I bring. Amazing. We can link to them in the show notes. Yeah, that would be great because I can get you the name. There's two that I like. One is a plug-in one. So I'll plug that in in the you know hotel like bathroom or what have you. And you can also um, take a shower by that light. It's kind of bright enough red to take a shower by. And those then- hotel bathroom lights can be <sighs> terrifying. Yes, they can be terrifying. I completely agree. I'm glad that I have a twin in this kind of thinking of like, really? Did someone think this through? And then there's another one that I like too. And again, I'll, I'll get you these links but it's kind of like a little hockey puck size and it's portable. So I'll even almost, it's like a modern day odd lantern that I'm walking around with that is all red. In a cape. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we promote some odd behavior in order to get great sleep in the 21st century because, you know, the truth is this might all sound like, oh my goodness, this takes so much thinking, but we're basically trying to hack these rhythms and have it all because in the past we would have just simply been living by these rhythms and the sun would say, and it was pretty much party over. Maybe you extend things. The first kind of biohack was fire in a lot of ways. So that was the first extension of the days. But besides that, you were largely tethered very strongly to these rhythms. Now we're trying to expand their structures around these rhythms. So these are some of the things that we want to do to bring in to have that workability essentially. Yeah, I'm thinking to the times when the electricity would go out where we live and it's such a magical time. I get to collect all of my candles and light them. And we always end up in bed very early. And maybe I'll heat up some water on our gas stove and make a cup of tea. And there is something so primal and simple and beautiful about it. I think one of the things that is exciting about more of this resurgence of this topic of kind of chronobiology and aligning our circadian rhythm is that it often lands for people as like, yes, that makes sense. There's some sort of inner kind of common sense reminding us of the importance of these cues that we might often have just sort of disregarded. I can start again, using myself as an example, when I was living in the middle of Manhattan, kind of all upside down on these rhythms, I could not tell you when sun would rise, when sun would set. I mean, these things were just so disconnected from me. And so now to have that identity shift as we spoke to of 
that there is actually so much we can do to kind of get ourselves behind the driver's seat of these processes that can be really, really empowering. So that's really my main message too, is that sense that the more we learn about all of these systems, then it can actually help empower us to have a sense of being less and less at the effect of these that sleep-wake sleep rhythm. And I feel like I didn't fully answer your question too about that melatonin gummy component because many of us then, when things are out of alignment, that's what we go to, of course, is these different supplements or drugs, THC, CBD, alcohol, you know, so there can be a whole arsenal of things that we might try to sometimes desperately go to or other times just like with a simple hope that that will be helpful. So to your point with melatonin, this is a big topic. Uh, there's quite very heated camps, if you will, on different thoughts on this. Some people will do even high dose melatonin and, you know, there's even high dose melatonin suppositories of all things. And so there's a big swinging thought process on melatonin. I'm more in the camp of how can we shift our behaviors to help facilitate a natural production of melatonin where possible? Now, sometimes where melatonin might make sense is when you're traveling and so you might be experiencing jet lag. That seems to be something that we can have in our kind of toolkit, but it's not necessarily the only thing for that. And that certainly if, if we're not dealing with travel, what can be possible is that there often are a lot of ways that we can naturally turn up that melatonin production. And melatonin can be a supplement and a strategy for some people for other things. We've seen some promising studies looking at cancer and high-dose melatonin, or if you're dealing with some sleep disorders around various issues with your sleep from a more biological level, then sometimes melatonin can be a strategy. But if you're kind of just dealing with some basic, you know, rhythm issues, then often we can do a lot more than we realize to help balance that out. You know, talking to you, I'm realizing why you started your own podcast, because there's so many other subtopics that yes. we could be going into. I know. <laughs> it's a big topic. Yes, for sure. And I mean, we spend what third of our life, almost yes. half of our life sleeping. So isn't it natural that we talk about it more? And I'm just so grateful you are holding these conversations. And my question to you is, you know, now that you've been hosting your podcast for a couple of years, you're more than 50 episodes diving into so many various topics related to sleep. What have been some of your top learnings from your guests? And what are some must-listen episodes you would send our listeners here to dive in deeper? So a lot of our listeners are pretty tech-centric, might be more kind of in that biohacker sphere, or they might just really be in a state where they're struggling with their sleep and they're like, okay, I'm open to whatever. And so from that place, one topic that I really like, we do talk about HRV quite a bit, heart rate variability. And we did have one guest on that called it your joy score, and which I thought was a cool way of thinking it. Now, this might be a little simplified or simplistic because HRV, heart rate variability, can be influenced by a number of things. But I do think it can be interesting to look at it from kind of a perspective of your workability of your life. Is something a bit off when you do see it deviating? And often what that looks like is going below your established baseline if it kind of dips quite dramatically and markedly that there might be something up. And sometimes that can be around 
you know, your overall life satisfaction. So I think it's a cool lens to bring to almost personal development is the circadian lens and our sleep result lens and how some of these metrics can almost provide an objective measurement of the workability of your life. So that was one. I would also say we've had a couple episodes looking at continuous glucose monitors. So with that, we looked at both Levels and Nutrisense, and they're two popular brands in the United States. And then there's certainly other ones worldwide. But looking at just how much that can play a very common role in some of the wake-ups or difficulty falling asleep. So it kind of lends itself. The One of the takeaways is if you have any ability to even test out having a continuous glucose monitor, even for a short period of time, even if it's just 14 days or what have you, often you can learn a lot about how much sleep and our glucose are bidirectional and kind of intermingled. And then some of the other kind of out of the box things often that we can do about those issues, whether it's taking certain supplements like berberine for step stabilizing your glucose, bringing in, you know, apple cider vinegar or lemon juice or some of these other things that might seem like, really, this makes a measurable difference. And turns out it seems to do that and other strategies that we might not be so aware of. So there's just a couple that are top of mind, but really each podcast, our intention is that we bring practical takeaways in the area of sleep optimization. So no matter if, even if we're talking about a piece of tech, even if you're not at all looking to spend a dollar on your sleep, how can we extract information so that you can, no matter your budget, really begin to play with this area and hopefully bring a little bit of fun to this process of improving our sleep? Yes, you know, final topic that I would love to ask you that might seem kind of random, but I've been personally very curious about and I feel like there's a reason it's coming up is what is it that in your business that gives you this opportunity to travel so much? And also within that, I would love to hear about your trip to Amangiri or Amangiri. Oh, yes. Because that's been on my dream list of places to go to. And we were actually considering about either getting married there or going on the honeymoon there. We ended up going to South Africa to this very special reserve instead. But I know you got engaged there. And I would love to know how that experience was. Yes. Oh my goodness. So one on the travel front before the lockdown, actually we were, you know, still in the midst of kind of this digital nomad, almost identity of traveling quite a bit, largely throughout Southeast Asia. And, um, before the lockdown, our intention was actually to head to Bali and a bit more of settling into that area. And with the lockdown, it was actually a really amazing blessing in a lot of ways as far as, and being, of course, respectful and responsible for the fact that, you know, probably wouldn't have designed it to go that way. And so many of us, uh, you know, experienced some struggle in that period for sure and still have that fallout. But I will say from a personal experience, there was a lot of positives that came out of it just from that force grounding. And out of that force grounding, 
it was really an absence of travel for quite some time. And so now more recently, it's been largely around different types of events looking at health. So whether it's kind of these biohacking different conferences or some masterminds around health or speaking for sleep optimization, that's where we've been finding ourselves traveling quite a bit more largely on a domestic front. But with the Amman, that was a really amazing experience. And they're actually quite known for sleep, interestingly enough, for because they have uh, different offerings of sleeping under the stars. Now, we did not do actually that, but we did, you know, that is one of the packages that's available there. And it is just amazing that that experience because it really was this nice blend of sort of biophilia, this blend of bringing nature inside and outside, you know, kind of that intermingling there. And you would be at a, the pool would be kind of built into the rocks that were in the kind of natural environment. And your outdoor, your backyard essentially was like desert and just endless and expansive, you know, right? And so you, you open the, the windows and the doors can be all opened up. So it's just sort of like the breeze is inside, outside, and then you can create a little fire. They're very big on kind of that, some of those back to basics being blended in. And they actually did have a stargazing kind of lesson that you could attend that we had attended. So lots of elements of nature woven in and uh, it was really an experience. Very, very grateful about that one for sure. And did you know that the engagement was coming or was it a surprise like mine was? Yes. So I definitely had a sense that it was around the corner. I didn't know the specifics, but I did know because we've been together for years for, you know, this is now coming right up on 10 years and largely in alignment with what happened for me with my experience with my sleep for a long time in our relationship. It was you know, just in these stress states of just sort of survival and entrepreneurship and just making it. And so, you know, kind of extra conversations of like, oh, marriage and all these other things seemed like just something else to consider when you have more time or less stress, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> so, right. so now to be in a state where actually there is more of that workability and a lot of it has been some of these habits and shifting to balance uh, states in a particular way. And so we did actually then we were able to have that off time and just sort of, you know, be in that conversation. So it was really, really nice. So beautiful. Congratulations on that. And congrats on having started this business not so long ago and having such what seems like aligned and awesome sponsors. And every time I get your newsletter, I'm just so blown away by how committed and thorough you are in redefining the sleep conversation. So as we wrap up, Molly, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you feel called to share with me and the listeners? Ah, well, number one, thank you so much for saying all those kind words and the feelings are mutual. I'm always consistently blown away with all the content that you put out and just I'm left with a sense that whenever I see any piece of content from you, that there's going to be some sort of, you know, high vibes with whatever it is I'm going to explore, whether it's, you know, kind of just transformation from a remodeling sense and experience of what's <laughs> possible from, you know, like actually kind of redefining, you know, our living spaces or our daily routines and just your being brings about a reminder for me personally. And that's one of the things I got out of your family 
fantastic podcast. And certainly people should listen to the podcast. They are interested in that sleep topic of what you brought to the table on sleep routines and rituals. So I think it's just so, so powerful. So really mutual admiration. And I think then on the, on the last topic, I would just certainly make that urge for people to consider sleep as a skill set in our modern society and start to explore how could we even just learn a little bit more than we might think we know in the area. I mean, I continue to be blown away about this really fascinating area of our lives and just how much more the, you know, when we know better, we do better kind of mantra and then also the element of fun, if you do get into that kind of um, gamification tracking side of it, if that aligns with your you know, lifestyle or your goals, how much you can discover about yourself and kind of what's working, what's not working and course correct in your life day to day. Or even if you fall off, <laughs> off track a bit, how much you can bring things back consistently by having that awareness to a level that I think a lot of us might not have had. And to leave everyone with an invitation to connect with you, do you do one-on-one -on -one consultations? Is that how you would like people to connect with you or subscribe to the newsletter? What are some of the offerings that you currently have? You can certainly go check out sleepisaskill.com. If any piece of this has been of interest, no matter where you're at, even if you say, oh, I'm a pretty good sleeper, you know, not too much of, an, of a topic, or if you're on the other side of the spectrum and really, really struggling, no matter where you fall, our aim is that we have something for everyone on this sleep topic. So one... You can take a sleep assessment there and get uh, an email back on kind of targeted information around what you're dealing with with your sleep. You can sign up for that weekly newsletter that we were speaking to before. And our aim is to make that sort of interactive. So any, you know, feedback or thoughts or things that are happening for you in your sleep, always feel free to, you know, kind of reply back to that. Um, and often we'll add in, you know, thoughts from other people within the community into the newsletter. And then we have our weekly podcast. So we'll also include that in that newsletter too. And that has regular sleep experts coming through or pieces of sleep tech or, you know, different health and wellness experts that feed into this topic of sleep. So hopefully that provides some value. And then finally, if you are struggling with your sleep and looking for more support, we do have 90-day courses, both one-on-ones, and then we have a kind of semi-private version of that coming out and they're all bring about our aim is to bring about that observer effect a bit so that you have a sense that there's someone else kind of along for the ride with you with your sleep stats so we do have everyone wearing a sleep tracker as they go through this journey so that we can kind of see what's working what's not working and then through that process we also with the group dynamic that's a, a newer offering that we're bringing in to further help no matter what kind of your price points are, what you're dealing with, with, you know, your sleep so that there's something available for people to kind of move the needle on their sleep is our aim. Beautiful. Molly, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for doing what you do. And I'm looking forward to our next catch up. Oh, well, thank you. The feeling again is mutual. So always in awe of what you're creating and constantly, you know, it, my experience is that you're in motion, uh, evolving, just providing so much for people. So thank you for creating this forum and for giving me the opportunity to share more here. So I really appreciate it. 
It's my joy. If you're moved by what was shared in this episode and not sure how to take action, start by writing it down. When we notice abundance and clarity in all shapes and forms and honor it, it grows. And if you're called to share the podcast with someone who you know is ready to receive it, follow that. Find all episodes, show notes, and current offerings on XeniaBrief.com. Subscribe to Xenia Brief Podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review, and take one deep breath into the knowing that's already within you.